You're listening to a Thorn Creek Weekend Message Podcast. For more audio content and other resources, visit thorncreek.church messages. Good morning, guys. Aren't you guys loving these downlights that we just installed this week? They were on the list. <coughs> Someone really loves them. So I'm glad we have them. You can read your Bible now. And it's been on the list since the very beginning. It's just been a finance issue. But uh, it's super cool to connect you. So I just want you to know, heads up right now, if you typically fall asleep, I can see you. And I want you to know that. <laughs> Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you for being such a good God. Uh, we love you. And we need to hear a word from you, God. Uh, nothing else will quench our souls like an encounter with you. So Lord, uh, we need you more, more than a vacation on a beach, more than a day off. We need your word. We need you. So Holy Spirit, work in me and through me. Uh, Direct my thoughts. Make this message just uh, beat within me, Lord. And uh, may, may your wisdom and your word come through by your grace. And give God permission to move in your heart. Would you just tell him, God, I need you to speak to me. I need a word from you, God. Strengthen me with your word and, and enlighten me and, and do whatever you need to do. Encourage me. Thank you, God, for your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, so today we're starting a brand new series called It's Not All About Me. Anybody get this postcard in the mail? Anybody get it in the mail? Anybody get it and just throw it away really quickly? Anybody have no idea? You've not received that postcard at all. You should tell us if you haven't. But um, um, this picture right here is kind of a special picture. It's really hard to see, but there's a woman uh, right between that, that black gal and that white guy. Do you see her with her head bowed down? That's my wife, Grace. And she's, they're praying together. And this is in downtown Denver. And then uh, with the yellow vest, that's Tim Breeze. And this is last year when we were feeding three apartments um, that were owned by the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless. And that's what we're doing down there. So this is all going to our big Feed 5,000 week that's coming up in a matter of weeks. It's one week before Thanksgiving. Uh, There's a whole story behind Feed 5,000 that started with McIlwain Elementary School and eventually became Food for Hope, and eventually now we just feed a whole bunch of people. So uh, this series that we're going to be in, and we're going to be spending about eight weeks in this series, uh, the goal is we want to become more like Christ and we want to become great in God's eyes. We want to become great in God's eyes. So the hope is that our hearts are primed and conditioned so that by the time we climatically serve and love on people and feed 5,000 a week, we're just ready. My prayer is that we become the church that God wants us to be and you become the person God wants you to to be as well. So that's, that's my prayer. So today's title is True Greatness. True Greatness. What does true greatness look like? Some of you are old enough, you may know this guy. 
he bragged about being the greatest, right? He bragged about being the greatest, and he was not shy to tell people how great he was. And uh, he was so great, he would say he could uh, turn off the lights in his bedroom and be under the sheets before the lights went out. And that's how great and fast he was. So he bragged about it. Um, Or maybe, you know, you might measure greatness a different way. Maybe it has to do with your number of followers or the number of likes or the number of friends you have. Incidentally, on Instagram, any idea who has the most uh, friends on Instagram? Any idea what celebrity has the most friends? Um, Here's one that's pretty high, I discovered. This guy right now, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Did anybody know this guy? Um, he plays football. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, football is not the world sport. Soccer is the world sport. And this guy has 185 million, or excuse me, yeah, 185 million followers. Isn't that crazy? 185 million followers. Taylor Swift is like number seven. She's not that big. I thought she was bigger. But um, anyway, uh, 185 million followers. Um, <clears throat> maybe that's he. Or maybe for you, greatness is this the corner office overlooking the city. And when you get to that status, you've arrived. How do you measure greatness? If we just kind of get real for a little bit, maybe you measure greatness based on net worth. Maybe you measure greatness based on how much you have in your retirement, or maybe it has to do with your, the freedom of your time. And to be great means you have complete freedom to do whatever you want, whenever you want. Maybe it has to do with position. Maybe it has to do with powder, uh, power. <laughs> maybe it has to do with beauty. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe it's about that American dream or being self-sufficient, whatever it is. How do you measure greatness? Because chances are you're going to spend energy towards that, that, that greatness. And, and when you look at Jesus, you know, there's nothing that we face in our world today that is new. There's nothing new under the sun. And you see the disciples are very human, and they're wrestling with this question about greatness as well. So I want to share a couple of stories with you, but I want to, the, the first one I'll share is Mark chapter 9. They talk about greatness. It says, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? So if you look at the verses before this verse, Jesus is telling his disciples, I got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to, there's going to be pain. And he's talking about the weight of the sins of the world, and you can just tell the disciples weren't really connecting with everything he was saying. And so that's what he's sharing with them, but they're talking about something different. Their heads, their minds are elsewhere. Verse 34 says, you know, Jesus says, what were you, what were you discussing on the road? In verse 34, he says, but, but they didn't answer. There's a good sign that they're kind of, there's a little bit of shame in what they were talking about. But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the, what church was the, was the greatest. These disciples, Christians, were arguing about who was going to be or who was the greatest. Verse 35, he sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said to him, he's going to have a Jesus talk with them. Now this is where it comes from. He's going to have a Jesus talk with them. He called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now, this is not what they wanted to hear. They were thinking Jesus was going to be in a political power position, and and Rome was the empire of that day, and Jesus was going to be King David 2.0, and everything was going to be good, and they had first dibs on positions of power, and that's what they were thinking. So I want you to hear this. Jesus doesn't rebuke the disciples 
he redefines greatness for them. He doesn't rebuke them. He redefines. And he wants them to understand what is greatness. Matthew chapter 20. Here's another story, relatively popular story. Starts off with this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. So this is Mama Bear coming and saying, I'm going to bring my two boys with me and we're going to go have a conversation with Jesus. We're going to go have a conversation with the boss. How would you feel, that, feel like that if your mom said, let's go talk to your boss because I think you deserve a, a raise. I think you deserve a promotion. So just come with me. How would you feel about that? Yeah. Verse 21, what is it you want? Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. In verse 22, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. Jesus says to, said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. In verse 23, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard about this, so the 10 are witnessing this whole thing, and they see James and John and his mom, and they see everything go down, and, and the 10 are watching this whole thing, and they don't like it. So, so when the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles loaded, lord, or lord over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. So here's what Jesus is doing. He's painting a picture of the world right now, and he's saying, in the world, you have this hierarchy. In the world, you have officials, and you have authority, and there's a chain of command, and in the world, there's a, there's a corporate ladder, and in the world, that's how you define greatness, and who's on the top rung, who's in first. And verse 26, he says this, not so with you. Can you say those words out loud with me? Not so with you. Now, Jesus is saying, look, I know the world defines greatness like this. I get it. That's what you're thinking. And that's why you're thinking of being on my left and being on my right. But not so with you. You're of the kingdom. Your standard is different. Not so with you. Instead, let's read the rest out loud, guys. Whoever wants to... Keep going. <laughs> Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. See, this is not what they wanted to hear. They know in, their, in this day and age, a servant was someone who washed the feet of another person. A servant was one who took care. A, a servant was the one who did the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. And Jesus said, if you really, really want to be great... You've got to be willing to be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. See, so just uh, go to the next verse, verse 27. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. It just keeps getting worse. Verse 28. Just as, now he's giving them this picture. He, he's, he's saying, here's my example. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So looking at this first, I, my guess is if we sat down at Starbucks or something and had a conversation with you, I don't think anyone in this room would say serving is a bad thing. I really don't think. I don't think anyone will say, oh, serving's terrible. But, but the, the question is, if we really believe serving is Christ-like, if we really believe serving 
is a noble attribute, it's something good, then the next question is, is how much of your life looks like a servant? How much of your life looks like a servant? How much of your, the resources, your energy, how about your skill set that the Lord has given you and, and, and the way God has designed you and, and some of you are so gifted, how much, how much of that is, are you just giving away in the name of Jesus Christ as a servant? And Jesus is getting down to the bone marrow, to the DNA of what it means to be a follower, what it means to be great, what it means to be great. Now, mom comes and says, here's James and here's John, the sons of thunder, and they're going to come and they're, <clears throat> we want, Jesus, I want you to promote them. And let me just say this, whenever you promote yourself, you will always promote yourself beyond your capacity. Don't promote yourself. Let God promote you. God will go before you. God will do whatever he does. <laughs> Whenever he does, he'll do it. And Jesus is making it clear. In this world, being a great person is someone who has rank and power and prestige and authority and is first. Someone who has clout, someone who's networked, someone who has resources. And he's saying, but not so with you. Greatness looks different. Greatness looks different. I like what Francis Chan said. He said, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. It's a scary thought for me. Think about that. <clears throat> in this world, you'll get applause. You'll get money. You'll get fame. You'll get whatever it is. But what a terrible thought to think that before the eyes of God, it doesn't really matter. What if God measured greatness differently? What if he did? Kevin Queen said it like this. Jesus teaches us that if serving is beneath us, then greatness is beyond us. If serving is beneath us, then greatness is beyond us. Let's think about this for a little bit. For some of us, the way we approach serving is, is uh, if there's something that needs to get done, I'm going to wait, I'm going to hold out as long as possible for someone else to jump in. And if at the 11th, 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 11th hour, nobody jumps in, then I'll say, I'll do it. And give me credit for doing it with a joyful heart. Why is that? <clears throat> One of the characteristics of a healthy church is the percentage of people that are serving. Remember when I went to a, a conference in, in a Mission Viejo, California, at Saddleback Church, Rick Warren's church, and the number of people that were serving and their attitudes said so much about that church. One of the signs of a healthy church is a giving church, the number of people that are giving with joy, generously. Another one is the number of people that are serving that's a sign of a healthy church. My prayer is that we become a stronger and stronger church. Even our attitude towards this that you got when you came in. Hopefully everyone got this when you came in. Did everybody get this when you came in? Even your attitude towards this. When you got this, were you like, oh, great, how can I serve? Or was it, oh, I'm going to throw this away? Or I'm not even going to, oh, it's about serving? I don't need to see that. What was your attitude when you saw that little piece of paper? We need more people, incidentally, to serve. It's so important. So here's the question I kind of worked through as I worked through this message. I thought, Lord, what is, what is the issue with serving? Why is, what is it, what is it? Because I think we'd all say serving's a good thing, but why don't we? We all say, you know, doing the right thing is a good thing, but God doesn't judge us based on our intention. He judges us based on our action, based on our obedience. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. But God doesn't judge us based on our intentions. He judges us based on our actions. Romans chapter 5 talks about this. He says this, When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone 
sinned. So when our spiritual grandparents, Adam and Eve, sinned, that sin entered the world. Now, when that sin entered the world, what that means is every baby born in this world was born with something called a sinful nature. Every person, you and I, was born into this world with a sinful nature. That means that's why, parents, you didn't have to teach your kids how to lie. It's called a sinful nature. And that sinful nature is what we're born with. Now, there's another act of sin. As we get older and we understand right from wrong, and we understand God's word, there's another type of sin. We're born with a sinful nature, and that makes us sinners. But the thing that we do is we sin. And the way we sin, sin could be defined like this. It's a willful transgression against a known law of God. A willful transgression against a known law of God. So what that means is like, you know what? I know God doesn't want me to lie because I understand it, but I'm going to lie. Now that's a sin. I know God doesn't want me to sleep around, and I understand that, but I'm going to anyway. That's called a sin. So now, now it's a, you, you willingly and you understand and you choose to sin, which is a little bit different when you're very far from God and you just, you know, you just haven't, you don't know God's word and you might do things and not realize this is not pleasing to God and you discover it later. So you're born with a sinful nature. That's why sin is so appealing and attractive and there's pleasure and desires and all that stuff. That's why it's like gravity. You're born with this sinful nature. But in addition to that, you do things that you know are not pleasing to God. Now hear this. The power of sin is in its focus. It's self-centered in nature and sets your mind on yourself. So <clears throat> I have this face right here full of water right here. Here's our sinful nature. It makes us self-centered. This is why it's easy to focus on ourselves. This is why we say stuff like, if it's good for me, if it's convenient for me, I don't like it, it's up to me, it's what I want. This is what drives us our time and how we spend our energy and our relationships and what we watch, uh, you know, whether it's on our phone or whatever it is. It's a sinful nature inside of us. It makes us very self-centered. That's the essence of sin. It's self-focused. So you look at yourself, you look at your own ones, you look at your own perspective, your own opinion, you look at yourself in this way. So there's this battle going on when Jesus says, I want you to follow me, and it's hard to follow, it's hard to follow Christ like this. It's, it's hard to serve like this, but you can do it. And, and, and there's this battle, this power of sin is, is very self-centered, and, and it's right there, and it's a lie. Second Timothy describes it like this. Paul says this, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only, only whom? Themselves. And what else? And last days, they'll love only themselves and only love their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. Why is that? When, you're, when you have this self-centered 
attitude, the self-centered nature. It's all about you, how I was hurt, what happened to me. And it's easy to have a bitter heart when you're so self-centered. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. Do you know anyone who slanders others? Maybe on social media or whatever it is. They have no problems doing that. No self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. Why do they love pleasure more than God? Because of the sinful nature. Because they're living a self-centered life. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that makes them godly. Wow. That means they could be at church. They could go through the motions, but they won't know the transforming power of the work of the Holy Spirit in their own life. And then it says, stay away from people like that. Hear this, a self-centered person will always put themselves first. You know, it's really hard to be in a, in a relationship with someone who's self-centered. Have you tried that? It's really hard to work with someone who's self-centered. It's really hard to, to just do life with someone who's self-centered because they always think about themselves. They always think about themselves. In fact, these people argue a lot. They have no problem arguing. They have no problem sharing their opinion. They have no problem doing anything because it's all about them. It's all about them. And they put themselves first. Just this last, uh, last Sunday, I was, telling, I was telling Jim this. This last Sunday, um, after the 11 o'clock service, so this would have been right around 12.45 or so, um, I was in, in the front lobby and I was just you know, telling people goodbye and thanks for coming. I was talking to these two wonderful ladies and they just came in. They, they flew in from the state of Washington and they came to church and they were telling me how much they enjoyed church, blah, blah, blah. So I'm there and I'm looking at one of our guest relations people and he was tearing down the tent and it was one guy. We need help with our guest relations team. So, so he was tearing down the tent by himself, but, but he was taking down the weights and everything like that, and he was putting them, in, putting them inside. And I was just talking to these two, I'm looking at this because this is what it was. I was talking to these two ladies like this, and I look over, and the tent is, is up, and all of a sudden, it just shoots straight up like, like gone. Like someone with a rope just yanked it straight up. And I'm talking to the two ladies, and I'm like, in my mind, I'm thinking, the tent is gone. <laughs> and then I think, I'm thinking, it's not coming down. <laughs> so I'm thinking, it's on the roof. I'm thinking, it's on the roof. The wind was so strong. That's when the Broncos played, or, you know, or whatever it is. Anyway, that's, I remember it was a windy day. So, so, so the, it's gone. And then I'm like, well, <clears throat> excuse me, can, can you give me, can, can you get <laughs> I start walking outside. And then the tent comes down on the car in the park right here. Someone went to the liquor store and it came down right on their hood. And it, of course, it was all mangled and everything like that. And I'm like, wow. You know, I'm, my hands just going, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, I don't know what she did in her life, but you know, church, God's sending her a message, I don't know. But uh, so, so we start, un, you know, taking it apart and unraveling it. Of course, the guest relations guy just felt horrible. It wasn't his fault. It was just the wind, but we needed help. We needed help. Anyway, so, uh, so we were taking it, and then she comes out, and you can tell her mind is just racing. She's trying to get to her next thing or whatever it is, and she came out with her six-pack or whatever, and she's got to go. And, and, and we had someone with us that, that does 
does, you know, auto work and, and he, with me. And he said, don't worry about this, Pastor. I'll take care of it. And he tells her, don't worry about this. I'll take care of this. Don't have to worry about anything. It won't cost you anything. So we're going to take care of her and all that. But her boyfriend comes out after her. And he looks at the car and he's like, wow, this is terrible. It wasn't anything like this. It was like new. It was, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, are we really going to play this game? You know what I mean? People take advantage, don't they? People take advantage. It's like a little dent on the hood. It's like, I need a whole new paint job. Really? It's our, it, here's what it is right here. <laughs> it's our self-centered nature. And anytime we have an opportunity to get ahead, we want to get ahead. We're willing to lie. We're willing to do that. That's called sin. That self-centered nature that says, I'm going to take advantage of the situation. It's going to put me on top. I'm going to get ahead, and I don't care. It's that self-centeredness right here when it says it's all about me. We convince ourselves. Let me just say this also. It's possible to be a self-centered servant. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like. And you say, yeah, I'm willing to serve, but you know what? It's got to work with my time. It's got to work with my schedule. And incidentally, when I volunteered, when I served, oh, it was terrible. Oh, it was so disorganized. Oh, it was, and, and this happened, and, and I'm going to complain about this, and I'm going to complain about that. It was terrible. I, you know, it, was, it was really horrible. I can't volunteer under these circumstances. I can't serve under these circumstances. I'll serve when I'm available. I'm available once every four months for 30 minutes, and you should be happy that I'm serving. It's that kind of attitude. Do you want me to quote scripture to you? I can quote scripture to you. But I'm very busy. And my time is very valuable. And there's certain things I just won't do. It's for other people. Maybe you say to yourself, I've been in the church a long time and I'm past those things. Maybe. You could be a self-centered servant of Christ. When it's all about you and your schedule and your rights and your comfort and your pleasure, you can be that person. And when you say, when you serve, you say, look at me. And Grace and I, we've been married together for a little bit. And I remember the early days. And I remember going downstairs or something. And I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of times I was the one working, you know, during the week, and she was the one staying at home because of our circumstances. But I would, I would maybe after work or something like that, I would wash the dishes, but I would wash the dishes at a certain volume because I wanted her to hear me washing the dishes. Um, you know why? Because I want credit. I want credit. I want her to know that I'm washing dishes. I wasn't angry. I was just wanting to make sure uh, there was just enough noise so that she knows Oh, Reuben's washing dishes, you know, kind of thing. Every guy knows what I'm talking about. And maybe every woman or whatever. But anyway, so I would wash dishes. And then the worst thing that would happen was she would come down the stairs and she'd go in the kitchen and she'd just go into the refrigerator or whatever it is and she'd get whatever she wanted and she'd walk away. Yeah, that was the worst. And I'm like, <laughs> did you see anything? <laughs> did you notice anything? She didn't see anything at all. And then I said, hey, did you notice how clean everything looked? Yeah, it looks great. It looks great. 
Okay, so do you know, you know, I'm trying to help her along because she's not understanding what I'm trying to do. And then, I, and then, you know, of course, the worst was, look, baby, I did this. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much. I do that all the time. And then I'd be like, <laughs> even when we serve, we can serve with the wrong motives. Even when we serve, we can serve and say, look at me. We can serve and say, look, 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 everybody look at me. Everybody take out your cell phone and get candid shots of me and post pictures of me serving quickly and put it all over social media. Look over here, I'm serving. Look over here. You know what a real servant of Christ looks like? A real servant of Christ looks completely different. Let me ask you this question. If all your prayers were answered, if all your prayers were answered, would anyone outside of yourself or your family be impacted by your answered prayers? If all your prayers were answered, would anyone outside of you and your family be impacted by your prayers? Anyone? Who is Jesus? Colossians chapter 1 says this. He's the son the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. It's the supremacy of Christ. He is everything, the image of the invisible God. For in him all things were created, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's no one more powerful than Jesus. John MacArthur said this, Jesus gave up the glory of a face-to-face -face relationship with God for the muck of this earth. He relinquished the adoring presence of angels for the spittle of men. He left heaven to be a servant. He left heaven to be a servant. Philippians talks about the DNA of what Christ did. It says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's talking to you and I. You must have the same attitude of Jesus. Verse 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he wasn't saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you know? Don't, don't you know I'm above this? Instead, listen to this, verse 7, instead, he, what church he Gave up. That's a really big word. Um, we're going to look at that. He gave up his divine privileges. He took up the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Don't you find it interesting that the most powerful person in the room takes a knee? Jesus. Don't you find it interesting that the most powerful person in the room gets a bucket and a rag and says, hey, I'll, I'll wash your feet. 
Don't you find it interesting that the most powerful person in the room says, you've got to be a servant if you want to be great. You've got to be a servant. The most powerful person says that. Verse 7 in another version, NASB says it like this, but he emptied himself. Emptied himself. That word right there, emptied, means this. To completely eliminate elements of high status or rank by eliminating all privileges or prerogatives associated with such status or rank. I'm going to say that again. It means to completely eliminate elements of high status or rank by eliminating all privileges or prerogatives associated with such status or rank. The Greek word is kenosis. It's kenosis. It's exactly what Jesus did. And you got to hear this. Godly people are empty people. They are striving for greatness in the eyes of God. And Zach, come on out here, Zach, and help me out. <clears throat> Godly people are empty people. See, this is how we are when we come to, come, come, come to Jesus. And, and Jesus is the one who, who, who changes hearts, and he does that. This is, what, this is how we are. But, but God doesn't want to leave you there. God wants to give you a new life. God wants you to know him, to know his presence, to know his joy, to know him, to live a holy life. This is God's desire for you. So, so we come like, like this, like Zach's holding on. This is the life. This is how we come. Whether you come to church or we go into our relationships like this or our positions like this or, or corporate life or church or whatever it is, this is how we come. And we're very self-centered. It's natural. It's because of our sinful nature. This is the way we are. But eventually at some point, something happens. At some point, he hears the word of God and he sees himself and he recognizes what, what's inside of him and he recognizes the need for change. He recognizes he cannot continue to live like this. And God says, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna give you a new life. And this is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus emptied himself and he left heaven to come and to serve. And Jesus calls us to do the same thing. And now there's this new life and he's learned the kenosis life. Life where it doesn't have to be about him anymore. There's freedom in this life. And now he serves and he's willing to do anything whether it's clean the toilets, whether it's help out in children ministry, whether it's love on the poor, whether it's feed the hungry, it doesn't matter because something has happened inside of him. That's the life God wants to give you. That's the life God wants to give you. Thank you, brother. And God wants, to, God wants you to experience the joy of this life right here. Some of you, you came to church and yours is full. And even as you come to church, it's self-centered. I was talking to someone last night, and he told me, <clears throat> we're out here in the hall, and he says, Pastor, I just want you to know I am so self-centered. That's what he told me. I am so self-centered. He said, that message was for me. He said, it hit me right between the eyes. And he said, I need to turn from that life. I don't want to live like that anymore. It's so hard, and I have such a bitter heart because of it. You know, self-centered people are not fun to be around. They're just not fun. <laughs> They're always looking at things in a negative way. Self-centered people 
trying to bring other people down and make themselves feel better. And I told him, God can help you with this. You need to pray to ask God to help you, the Holy Spirit to help you, deliver you from this, this thing. And because as long as you're living that self-centered life, you'll never experience all God has for you. And he was so grateful. He was so grateful for that. <clears throat> Great people are kenosis people. Great people are kenosis people. Great people put other people first. Great people live this life right here. And doesn't it make sense? Doesn't it make sense what Jesus calls great? Jesus is all-powerful. He's in the very presence of God in heaven. All the angels bow down to him. Everything was created in him and through him. Everything exists and he holds everything together. So doesn't it make sense that Jesus at the highest of highest says, yeah, 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 I had all that, but you know what really is great? Here's what's great. Your willingness to empty yourself out. That's great. When people look at you and they don't see your resume, they don't see your position. They don't see the nameplate on your desk. They see your heart. That's great. When you're willing to humble yourself before God. God says, yeah. And in heaven, when that happens, Jesus is like, yeah. That's what I'm talking about right there. Jesus is like, I know what that feels like right there. And the reason why you do that is because of who's living inside of you. And you do that. And you serve. You serve. You serve. And when you're emptied out like this, you just look at every opportunity to serve. There's some people here in this church that I could call at 10 o'clock at night and say, hey, we need help. Something happened at church and we need help. Can you meet me at church in 15 minutes? And they'll be like, pastor, I'll be right over. There's some people here that are like that. But I know there's other people who are not like that. Well, let me look at my calendar. Well, I've got a really busy day. Well, I'm not sure. But there's other people who would be like, I'll take a vacation day. You know these lights that are up right here? They happen because of two guys. One guy took his, took his day off to be here, and the other guy took a personal vacation day to come and do this. Servant. That's why they're up. And someone else said, hey, I'm going to help fund this. Servant. Servant. This is, this is the goal right here at Thorn Creek Church, for everyone to have an empty jar. When you live life like this, you are useful for God. You are useful for God. Your attitude is different. You look at church differently. You want people to know the love and the grace of God, and that's your motivation. And whatever you do, you do in the name of Jesus Christ. And it's not about you. It's about Him. It's about Him. It's about Him. <clears throat> so here we have. It's coming up. <clears throat> Let me give you first dibs. Food for hope. <clears throat> Feed 5,000. Thorn Creek, there it is. <clears throat> I hope you mark your calendar. So here's what we're doing here, guys. We have a website for you to go to. It's called feed5000.gifts. You want to take a picture of this, guys. We are giving Thorn Creek Church first dibs into serving. So you have an opportunity to go to feed5000.gives and click on the places, the times that you can serve and you can volunteer. Now, let me give you a heads up. 
We have, I don't know, maybe what, think, maybe 500 people or something crazy of people who want to be a part of this. So if you don't jump on this quick, slots are going to be full. Okay? And we're giving this first step since Thorn Creek is behind this. So we're giving you an opportunity to jump on this quickly. If you say, I'll do it later, there may not be a place for you to, I mean, it's just a lot of people. We're going to do all the assembly here and we're going to love on these 15 schools during, on, on, we're going to assemble on Wednesday and then on Thursday and Friday, we're going to go to bus stops and we're going to go to the schools and we're going to give people their meals. And then on Saturday, we're going to go downtown Denver and we're going to feed three apartment complexes owned by the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless. And then we're going to do church on Saturday night, church on Sunday morning. Then we're going back out on Sunday afternoon to go to the Renaissance on 88th Street, which is managed by the Colorado Coalition of the Homeless. And we're going to feed all of them that entire apartment complex. There's opportunity for you to serve. Will you do it? You are part of a church that serves. You are part of a church that believes in being the hands and feet of Jesus. You're part of, that's, that's your church. What an opportunity for you to serve, for you to serve. Oh, well, Jesus, thank you for your grace and your love. Thank you, God. And I just pray, Lord, that you have your way here, God. If you're ready to empty yourself out, would you say this prayer right where you're at? Would you just say, God, I want to be a kenosis Christian. I want to be emptied out here. So right now, Holy Spirit, empty me. Empty me from my self-centeredness. Just according to Philippians chapter 2. Empty me. I want to be more like you, Jesus. And may I serve with a heart just like you, Jesus. God, we turn to you. Have your way here, Lord. Would you continue to be with us? Would you bless our Feed 5000 week and weekend? I pray every soul here has an encounter with you and makes time for you. I pray that happens. God, I feel a burden to pray for someone here who's maybe here and, and maybe they don't know you. And if that's you and you're here at church, but your relationship with God is not where it needs to be and you know it, would you just say this? Say, Jesus, come into my heart. I need you to be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me for my sins and empty me out while you're at it. Empty me out. Give me self-control that I've never had before. Put your Holy Spirit inside of me. Change my heart. Give me a new heart, God. Thank you, God, for your grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Each year, thousands of Thorn Creek Church messages are downloaded for free. This ministry is generously supported by Thorn Creek Church members and listeners like you. If you'd like to support this ministry, please consider making a tax-deductible donation by visiting thorncreek.church/give.